Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Plenty to talk about. I wanted to start with Arena Sabalenka, but apparently people are talking about <laughs> national football teams. So we're going to talk about games from the weekend. Look ahead to the openers uh, for conference title weekend on Sunday. And then we'll close off with a bit of Australian Open chat. Yeah. But let's start off with Bengals Bills, uh, which I think is certainly the most surprising result of mm-hmm. the weekend. Bengals 27, Bills 10, line closed, Bills minus 6, totals 48.5. Bengals obviously run away with that and the total sales under in the snow. What did uh, what did you make of it, Drew? Um, well, the total betting obviously had me more interested. The side betting was kind of surprising too. Bills took one-way action with the market all week long. Uh, that pushed out to 6 at one point, which I did not ever think we were going to get, but sure enough, it showed 6. Um, and then... You know, ultimately, the story was the Buffalo defense just came out with a bad plan A. And like always, if plan A does not work for the Buffalo Bills defense, they don't seem to have a plan B. Uh, And so Bengals pretty much got whatever they wanted going. And then, uh, you know, with the lead in those conditions, uh, all of a sudden you can really put the ball in the hands of your big back uh, and, you know, take some of the pressure off of your, the, you know, the B team that was out there for the O line. And that was sort of the game Um, somewhat, I guess from the total side of things, that was, it was weird all week that that did not come crashing down, particularly as the weather looked to deteriorate. And even as we were seeing uh, sort of in the early stages of the game, there was some fluky stuff. Uh, It felt like that was an under all the way. Um, and yes, the Bengals did get whatever they wanted uh, on offense. And maybe uh, the people who bet the over thought, well, if the Bengals get going offensively, then this is going to be a score and answer shootout like the Miami Dolphins Bills game. It was not, however, as the Bills really, really, really struggled uh, to find game breaking plays. I was disappointed that they didn't use more designed runs for Josh Allen. I felt like that was their bread and butter through the first half of the season, and they kind of put it in their back pocket, and I guess they forgot about it, and or uh, you know, teams just adjusted to it well enough that those, they didn't think those plays were there, so they didn't really try. Um, but there were opportunities, I felt like, for you know, that to be a successful strategy in this particular game, and you know, but it ended up uh, just being Josh Allen trying to do too much hero ball and, you know, a lot of drops from his wide receivers and uh, just in general, a lot of sloppy offense from the bills. And I guess, you know, considering the way that they've played over the last uh, month and a half now, I don't think we should be surprised, but uh, sure enough, uh, rematch in the AFC championship game from last year. And I don't think people are going to be disappointed with that. Yeah, it was weird game. I think just all of the, I guess concerns you would have about the Bills, about losing Von Miller and Micah Hyde on defense, about Demar Hamlin um, being out as well and just being down to fourth and then fifth string safeties, um, and 
and it's just all reared its head. The fact that the offense just devolves into Josh Allen's Superman stuff over and over again. Uh, and then you contrast that to the Bengals, who clearly came out with a plan. The fact that, you know, they were using the short stuff and also just the, their ability to run the ball was surprising. The fact that Joe Mixon, who has been able to do nothing for a while, the fact that he was able to go 20 for 105, even when the Bills knew that they would be running the ball in the second half. That was weird. Uh, just a weird game across the board. Um, and now, and yeah, now the Bengals are almost picked to uh, to make the Super Bowl, which which we'll get into. Uh, let's talk about Chiefs, Jags. Chiefs 27-20. Uh, they close close to minus 10 um, and almost covered. Um, uh, but Doug Peterson... Unfortunately for Chiefs backers, fortunately for Jags backers, decides to kick the field goal late to cut it to a one-score game and go for the onside kick. The total's 51 and a half. It goes under. Uh, obviously, the story is Patrick Mahomes and his ankle um, and what he will look like and whether he'll look better or worse. I suspect that he's probably going to look slightly worse, but I think the offense will look a little bit better just with the amount of time that they have to scheme around that. I don't know what they were doing, calling like stretch runs when Mahomes um, can't walk, but it was another very strange, uneven game. I'm not sure there's too much to read into it given the health, but what did you make of Jags Chiefs? Uh, I mean, it was there for the taking (laughs) for the Jags. I don't know what else to say. It was there for the taking. And um, the Agnew, uh, the the sequence, the, the drive, the, the entire drive that started with Agnew should have taken that kickoff to the house. Yes. And then ultimately he fumbles it in the inside the 10 was like, oh my God, how is this happening? And even when the fumble happened live, I was like, that's, they're, 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 that's coming back. There's no way that was actually, you know, controlled and, and fumbled, was it? Nope. Sure enough, like that was a fumble. Uh, and you know, the Jags get a nice stop. They get another opportunity, and Trevor Lawrence throws the pick, and then that's basically the game. It felt like all of the recipe was there for a comeback for the Jags, and they just couldn't. They couldn't put it together. They got the break they needed with uh, Mahomes taking that injury in the first half, and they still couldn't exercise uh, the miracle upset. But uh, so season's over for the Jags, and um, the market seems to be. And you know, we can talk about this more but the market seems to be pricing in Mahomes being either 50-50 unavailable or just not anywhere close to the same player we've seen from him from his entire career because this uh you know this opener kind of in the pickem range against the Bengals is like so far off the market it's very very tough for me to wrap my head around now i didn't think Mahomes was that bad in you know particularly coming out of halftime i thought he was pretty effective uh, you know and and your point of they can scheme around, um, you know, the, the, the limitations he's going to have. Um, I think that's true. They have the best offensive line in the AFC, second best in football after the Eagles. This is a team that's going up against a, a Bengals squad that likes to generate pressure with as few rushers as possible. I don't think that they're going to put a ton of pressure on Mahomes. And uh, literally, if Mahomes' arm, absolutely electric still. It's just, it is just fine. Uh, if he, if he's not on a stable platform, if he's having trouble, uh, you know, planning his feet, I don't really know that that matters for him because his arm is so freaking strong. Uh, he should be able to carve this team, uh, even with, uh, you know, some limitations of his, 
mobility in the pocket and just in general kind of anything gaining anything on the ground so um as of as we sit here now with zero information i'm gonna guess mahomes plays i'm gonna guess he's limited to the pocket and i'm gonna guess he carves the Bengals. and i'm surprised that this market is giving you such a low price on a chiefs team that's hosting the afc championship game for the millionth year in a row i don't understand the line at all i don't and i think the way to think about it is the Bills was close six-point favorites at home against the Bengals. The Chiefs and the healthy Chiefs are rated about the same as the Bills, give or take a point, either side. And just when you ha- – so how do you get from minus six um, down to minus one? And look, there's obviously Mahomes' health, which is worth some amount, which is difficult to quantify. And then the Bengals' rating obviously has to go up after yesterday. But I don't think that those two things add up to five points. Um, and I just, I don't really understand. I don't think Tony Romo is moving global markets, but after what he said at the end of that game about Mahomes' ankle sprain and how he's not going to be able to walk today, uh, my inbox started lighting up with, um, are the Bengals just going to destroy them? Like, I don't think so. I think also as well, um, the Bengals' offensive line, which looked magnificent against Buffalo, I mean, one, I think the snow definitely mitigates pass I rush a little agree. bit now. Look, it's it's forecast to be snowing in Kansas City on Sunday <laughs> at the moment, so maybe uh, maybe they'll get the same benefit there. But I don't think the offensive line is going to look that good again. Uh, and I just I can't I can't find a way to bridge the five points between Bills minus six and Kansas City minus one. Obviously, it has to be bridged somewhat. But I thought this line was going to be three. Uh, and for it to be one um, is very is very surprising. The total is forty seven and a half. Any any lean there? I guess I would lean under just because I feel like the Chiefs defense, particularly Chris Jones, is going to be a nightmare matchup for the Bengals in this one. Um, I think the fact that the offensive line played up was in large part you can attribute that to the fact that the Bills' pass rush was not on yesterday. And the conditions absolutely helped them because the minute the game script flipped from, hey, we need to give Joe Burrow time to get his guy open, you know, let his guys get open down the field so he can, uh, you know, hit some chunk plays. The minute that that flip script, you know, script flipped to, hey, um, we just need to get off the snap count correctly and then try to just push these guys, you know, on their back heel on a slippery surface. Well, that's a much easier ask. And so the, you know, the game state broke perfectly so that that weakness was not exposed. And people seem to have forgotten that this is not a very good unit. Um, I, I would expect that uh, the Chiefs D-line, which is healthy and very, very, very violent, uh, is going to have a lot to say about how this game plays out. Uh, and so, you know, if, uh, if for whatever reason, uh, you know, Chiefs are a little limited offensively because Mahomes is not, not mobile, uh, and or if Mahomes just can't go and this is the Chad Henney show, then 47 and a half feels like a very fair play to the under. Um, so I think uh, it's under or pass here at 47 and a half. 47 is obviously an important number in the uh, uh, in the football space. So, um, yeah, this is uh, this is a surprising side and total. Um, you said it. you kind of like, you know, how do we go from Buffalo minus six to Chiefs minus one? How do we go from Chiefs minus seven last year to Chiefs minus one this year? How do we go from Chiefs minus two and a half in Cincinnati on December 4th to Chiefs minus one at home? I mean, like this this price 
speaks to someone having like realistic uncertainty that Mahomes is even going to play. Uh, and I'm not there. I think he's going to play through it. We've kind of living in the era now of quarterbacks calling their number. Uh, and so even if the medical staff is like, we're, we don't feel great about this. He could re-injure it. This could be career impacting. I think he's probably going anyway. Uh, and I think with his arm kind of being the thing you fear the most, uh, that's not a good thing for Kansas City and for Cincinnati. I mean, uh, try to defend that. Yeah. Um, and I think the extra day break will help a little bit. Um, give Mahomes um, and the Chiefs, they played on the Saturday. Now they get the Sunday game. The Bengals have just flipped favorite uh, some places in the market, wow. which, is, wow. which is incredible. So, yeah, my thought on the minus three opener is, is obviously way off, but I can't imagine that the Bengals, if it's, I mean, and that's probably baking in some chance that it is Chad Henney, but there's just no way that the Bengals can be favored in Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes if um, if he does suit up. And I would think it's a heavy favorite that he is going to play um, after the eight day break, though. You know, I, you maybe, know what? Maybe it's maybe there's something else wrong. The limits are still a little low yes. compared to what they're going to be later this week. This could be a dummy move. I, I mean. I at no in in no universe am I going to have Cincinnati this week at these prices. No way. Like this at this current moment, it I only think you're going to get uh, you know action towards uh, Kansas City unless the impossible of Chad Henney being the guy uh, becomes the reality. Um, but uh, man, this is uh, this this looks like a rope a dope kind of like we've seen uh, with a couple of things in the playoffs so far. Yeah. The, uh, my best guess now to seeing how the market has moved, I would still guess that it's going to close Kansas City minus one and a half, minus two maybe. Um, it's not going to get to the three that I thought it would be. But um, yeah, certainly wants to monitor. But yeah, I would, I would be betting Kansas City. All right, before we get to the NFC, a reminder to download the Roto World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in the App Store today. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Okay, NFC. I think these two games went 
mostly to form, certainly relative to the chaos in the AFC. I'll start off with 49ers Cowboys, which is the most interesting game. Uh, I'm never going to forgive Dak Prescott for not getting my plus four and a half home that I backed um, as the opener. He was horrific. Uh, The Cowboys defense played a lot better than I expected. Um, I liked the over in this game and it didn't didn't even come close. Uh, The 49ers I thought Brock Purdy uh, did not look great, um, but at the same time was good enough down the stretch to to convert on uh, what seemed like, as a Cowboys better, seemed like 15 plays in a row of just slants on third and two, that uh, which is wide open every time, um, which was infuriating. Mike McCarthy making some very strange decisions down the stretch, didn't agree with the punt on fourth oh. and five. Oh. Didn't, agree with, didn't agree with Dak Prescott trying to throw the game-ending pick on one game-saving drive, and then the next game-saving drive uh, tries to take the game-ending safety. Didn't like that either. <laughs> just a catastrophe. Late-game execution from the Cowboys. Shades of uh, how they played against the 49ers down the stretch last year in the playoffs. So just a catastrophe all around for Cowboys plus four and a half. Uh, and the Niners, I mean, their their rating has to go down after that game, even though they covered. And I think that's reflected in the fact that they're trending towards three-point dogs against Philadelphia when I think if we were doing this podcast last week and projecting what the line would be there, we would have said pick. Philly oh, no. Philly minus one. No. Market loves San Francisco. Yeah, um, I know. But uh, if you, uh, the minute you got confirmation that Hertz was fine, this the the dynamic changed. I don't know. I think a pick'em would have been like, is Hertz right? Like that's sort of the number you see. I I, I think. Um, I mean, but, the Niners uh, going into the playoffs, the Niners were like favorite for the NFC some places, having to play an extra game in Philadelphia. I mean, the market just loves San Francisco, but I think after what. Purdy in particular showed yesterday where I did, that guy just does not give up on plays. He will just run around. He literally in circles sometimes um, before he throws it away. So I think that that to me is the big thing out of yesterday um, that the Purdy might be a little overmatched going into Philadelphia. Yeah, I think um, playoff environment on the road is going to be an interesting test. And um, I know I sound like a broken record. Uh, Let's see him against a good pass defense now. Let's see him against a pass rush finally. Let's see him in a playoff environment. Let's see him in a – yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like he's passed every test to this point. They've gotten increasingly hard. Um, This is the toughest test. Uh, You're going up against a team that is healthy and dangerous in every aspect of the game, uh, and you're doing it on the road in a in a very very, you know very uh, um, you know high energy environment. Philadelphia, not never a fun place to play, uh, particularly in a you know a game of this magnitude. Um, So it's going to be tough for him, surely. Um, The noise, the communication, the you know the the idea that. you know, the plays that he's scrambling around trying to make a miracle happen don't turn into turnovers. All You know, like that, like the regression from him particularly creating turnover-worthy plays and that are actually converted into turnovers is wildly overdue. Um, if it all happens in one game on the road at Philadelphia, will any of us be surprised? I don't think so. Um, this fair price to me was Philadelphia minus three, and it's a large part because of what we saw from Philadelphia more so than what we saw from the Niners. I think the Niners are exactly who they look to be. <laughs> it's a team that uh, you know creates chaotic plays on defense with their pass rush, um, has the ability to take the ball away, uh, particularly if you throw it kind of anywhere close to their guys who can make a play. Um, but at the same time, because of their aggressive nature, 
nature. They give up plays in chunks. If you can block well, if you can, um, you know, give your quarterback time and let your, you know, let your wide receivers and tight ends win one v one down the field, you're going to move the ball in chunks against this defense. And we've seen a lot of teams be able to do that. So, um, you know, on the offensive side, the Niners have an embarrassment of riches. I feel like they didn't even really have to press the Debo Samuel button yesterday. They kind of got to put him on ice a little bit for this game. Um, and it was mostly just like, hey, let's see, let Kittle win his matchups and let him be the guy today. Um, CMC obviously dealing with the calf and some tendonitis, it looks like, but I would expect he goes. Uh, but in his absence, Mitchell looked absolutely like he looked fast. He looked very, very effective. So, um, you know, Niners skill position players are going to be there. They're going to do their jobs. It's just a matter of can Purdy avoid the turnover? And particularly in this environment, um, you know, this with this magnitude of, of intensity, you know, expecting him to give you exactly the same poison uh, and ability to avoid the uh, the backbreaker is that's a tough ask. So I think uh, markets trending towards three for Philly. I think that's a fair price. I think if you can get a flat two and a half, you, you know, that's a decent bet now, particularly as this gets, uh, you know, more widely available, bigger limits. I think this moves to three. Yeah, I think. I think if it does if it does close three, I might even like San Francisco at that point. I do think that this is a it's a bad matchup for Philadelphia's offense in that you know they want to run the ball and when they go up against the dreadful rushing defense like the Giants and they look all world on offense. Now they go up against the best rushing defense in the league, and this game is is largely going to be on on Jalen Hurts's shoulder, literally um, and figuratively, uh, where he's going to have to throw. He's almost certainly going to have to throw more than the 24 times he threw against the Giants. And uh, look, he's definitely the better quarterback in this matchup, even with the health concern. But this is going to be um, much tougher sledding, obviously, for the Eagles. I would just be, if I were on the Niners, um, I would be concerned that um, that defensive line of the Eagles, now that it's it's fully healthy, mm-hmm. and Graham, Josh Sweat, um, Robert Quinn is even getting run. Um, Fletcher Cox, all of these guys, Hassan Redick, uh, who's probably the best of all of them. Like they are going to be um, in Purdy's face. And uh, and it's not so much necessarily the interceptions. I just feel like this is a recipe for Brock Purdy to take six sacks. Um, he loves to hold on to the ball. So um, that would be the concern there. And I think if you believe in the Eagles, it's more about their defense um, than what they're going to do offensively. So... So yeah, I think two and a half is right, um, and and yeah, and it looks like we're headed for um, for the Eagles in the Super Bowl after uh, after all of that, after all the concerns about their health, about Jalen Hurts, about uh, Lane Johnson who was wincing all throughout yeah. the game, got through it okay. Uh, we'll see what happens with Levante Maddox, but they're largely healthy, um, and this was, I mean, they've been the best team in the NFC all year. Yep, yep, you have. This is, I, yeah, I mean, uh, we got a rematch in the AFC and you're one and two seeds who are rightfully here in the NFC. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, it should be a good championship weekend. Obviously, the fact that you have two narrow line games uh, is pretty unique. Uh, usually, one or two games, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a tilt uh, in the market. These are two very, very, you know, ex- you know, these are expected to be very competitive games. So, uh, should be a fun week preparing for this. Got to you know rewatch a lot of Cincinnati, uh, Kansas City tape. One of the things that's kind of bugging me, uh, yeah, and we'll get to this, but uh, I still haven't figured out what happened in last year's AFC Championship game. Like that, that one still puzzles me. 
Uh, and I think that's an important piece uh, to figuring out. But, um, you know, certainly for the NFC, uh, I, I think the Eagles are the right side. Um, I am starting to get a lot of heat from Niners fans, by the way. And that's kind of bringing out sort of the worst part of, uh, you know, as you matriculate through the playoffs. Like, we're just calling balls and strikes in terms of the market here, guys. Like, I don't hate your team. <laughs> just because uh, I, I think the Niners are a little bit overrated, uh, you know, is – you know, I'm betting against them or, and, or I'm looking for opportunities to, uh, you know, to, to capture value on the other side. That's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, I lost on the Niners Cowboys game because I bet the over, not because I bet against the Niners. I thought the Niners offense was going to be a lot more uh, effective than they were. 19 points. I thought was a little bit of an underachievement from them. Um, and, uh, you know, but Dak Prescott really threw me out of that game. So, uh, that's where I sort of, uh, landed there. Um, I don't know. Eagles Giants was sort of a forgettable Saturday night game just because it was so lopsided. But, uh, um, you know, that was where that was kind of the only heavy duty stakes I had all weekend. So uh, maybe the last kind of heavy duty stakes I bet in the NFL all season. So uh, this is sort of where we are in the in the arc of things. And uh, if you kind of head into, you know, AFC NFC championship weekend thinking you have an enormous edge on the market, you're probably wrong. Uh, so I'm kind of uh, I'm going to be treading a little bit lately, I think. Indeed. All right. Well, those are the appetizers done. Let's get to the main course of this day <laughs> over the women's side. But before we do, a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen on the PGA Tour as well as in college basketball and the NFL, including a shot at $100,000 on Championship Sunday if you enter our Sunday Night 7 contest. It's time to get your swagger back with PointsBet Sportsbook. New customers can sign up now with the code BETTHEEDGE to get five second chance bets up to $500. That's five straight days of second chances where PointsBet will match your losing wager in free bets. So use the promo code BETTHEEDGE and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before. PointsBet, it's your move. New customers only. Must be 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, or West Virginia. In partnership with Louisiana iGaming LP, DBA Boomtown, New Orleans. Second chance means that if any of your first five cash bets, that is the first bet per day for five consecutive days on a fixed odds market loses, you will receive free bets in the amount of the losing wager up to $100 each. Cash out is not available on all wagers and may not be equivalent to the initial Initial wager. PointsBet can disable or suspend the cash out feature at any time. Additional terms and conditions apply. See the promotions page and terms and conditions section of the PointsBet website app for more details. Void where prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Colorado or Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. In Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK. That's 467-369. In New York, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Pennsylvania, call 1-877-770-STOP. That's 1-877-770-6867. In Louisiana. Australian Open quarterfinals. 
I didn't enjoy what Dak Prescott was doing last night, but I did enjoy what Arena Sabalenka was doing at the same time. Her little two-screen action and uh, was burning my eyes from <laughs> Dak. Looking at Arena just light up and just break Belinda Bencic. Um, Sabalenka, that was a real test. Bencic flipped favorite. I think she was trading at like minus 150, minus 180 live when she had the break in the first set. And then Sabalenka turned it on. And uh, the thing with Sabalenka, which I think makes her so unique, is that she has so much power on her ground strokes that mm. she, she just hits the ball back uh, to, you know, the midcourt. And her opponent doesn't really have to move, but is shaken off balance by just the amount of power, the amount of depth. And I think that if she is playing like this, She's close to unbeatable. It's just the concern that at any point the double faults might come back. <laughs> the second serve issues might come back. But to her credit, I mean, in that last set, the second set, she was love 30 down. It looked like Benchich might break back. And Sabalenka had key second serves she had to make. And she made them and she went for mm-hmm. them and she got them. And uh, she right now looks like the best player in the world. And, uh, and she's got a favorable draw as well uh, with Caroline Garcia getting knocked out, with Ons Jabeur getting knocked out of the bottom half. And uh, yeah. it seems like her tournament to lose, Drew. It did. It does. And yesterday did feel like even as she was at a deficit early, um, the match was always on her racket. Uh, it was like, you know, it, it, Benchich had the lead because... Sabalenka was making some unforced errors, had some double faults, really just looked to be overthinking things. And then the minute she settled down, it was just like winner, 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 winner. Uh, And it was a glorious thing to watch. Did you know you can get a sense of a player's form um, by looking at sort of the ratio of winners to unforced errors. In the second set, she had 14 winners, five unforced errors. She is seeing the court so well right now. It's even more than the power, her placement and her uh, her depth, as you as you mentioned, it is. It's just unstoppable, and I am excited to see it because I've, we've been waiting for this for her, her to break out at the slam level for what feels like five years. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. She's really only been on the scene for like three or four years, but um, you know, it's been the 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 tools have always been there. It's just always been the mental side of uh, you know, can you handle the pressure of you know actually winning a slam because that changes sort of your career arc if you have that you know if you're kind of in on that level um and it seems like she is operating with the coolness and an intensity right now that uh is finally what you were hoping to see from her so uh she is the rightful favorite in the market right now at two to one um i would make her meaningful favorite. you know she is a meaningful favorite over donna vekic i think fares in the f- minus 400 to minus 500 ballpark uh and then as we get into the later stages here i would make her minus 450 over plishkova just because i rate plishkova a lot lower than market right now um, and then in the final, uh, your worst case scenario is probably uh, uh, Elena Rabakina, just because Rabakina has won a slam in being the Wimbledon champion, which still pains me to say it out loud. But uh, Rabakina won Wimbledon, of course, last year. And so she'll have a little bit of a, um, maybe a hair of a mental advantage if she ends up as your other finalist in the women's side. Um, so that's kind of what I'm fearing right now as, as a backer of Arena Sabalenka. And, uh, you know, I would say, however, of the bottom half of the uh, draw right now, a lot weaker than the top. 
so Sabalenka has that going for her, much more likely to reach the final than any of the four women in the top because that's going to be uh, two very close semifinal matches and then whoever, you know, two close quarterfinal matches and then, uh, you know, a very, very competitive semifinal there. So uh, Sabalenka just needs to keep her court time on court low, uh, take care of business convincingly here in these next two rounds. Uh, and then I think she's a meaningful favorite in the final. Yeah, I think, and we were talking about this before we started, but I think the market will be more bullish on Pliskova in that semi. Um, but at the same time, like right now, you can get minus 125 type of prices for Sabalenka to reach the final. And if you think that it's minus 500 against Vekic and then minus 450 fair, then you're talking about, yeah, minus 200 range. Yeah. Um, so that that would seem to, to be the bet. Rybakina is definitely scary, and when she's playing the way she did against Sviantec, she's almost unplayable. At the same time, Sabalenka's unplayable right now, so she's going to get played. Um, and I just think that the, the bet is still Sabalenka. There's not much meat on the bone left at two to one to win it all. I think the reach the final price is probably better, um, just because she. I think she'll... At this playing like this, if she wins her next two matches, I think she will go off favorite against Rabakina or Pagula, but it's not gonna be. She's not gonna be minus two hundred against those those girls that I think it'll be minus one twenty five, minus one thirty type of range. Um, given that they will obviously have played well to, to reach the final two. But yeah, it's all there for her. So um I'm looking forward to uh, the double faults coming back when she's up uh, six four three loving <laughs> um, and you know hearts broken. She's again. Yeah, she's not playing. She's not playing the great Iga Shiantek on a court speed that favors Iga. So there we have that going for us. Um, yeah, like I said, like the thing you're fearing at this point is someone with the kind of the mental advantage over her in a final spot. And the only narrow example of that would be Rabakina. Rabakina is uh, she's a robot, man. Like no emotion. Like she's she's just no, yes, yeah. It is it is wild to see. Um, and, uh, I would expect that, uh, uh, Rabakina, uh, is definitely, uh, sort of the only other player that I would give meaningful op- chance to win this title. Yeah. I like that you've switched up from Rabakina to Rabakina, even though we have no proof on what is the, well, after our, after our, uh, kind of butcher job, uh, last week, I went to the WTA website and on everybody's player profile of all the top players, they have the, 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 player saying their name out loud and what's funny about Rubakina is that she says her name twice and it's different the two times she is saying it her herself like i hear it do two different ways neither way is Rybakina, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but she says like Rubakina and Rybakina. so it's yeah it's it's uh it's still a mystery uh either way i think uh you know i think she's she's obviously a really impressive win over Iga Shriantek. that yeah. was quite quite cool I think Ribikina is a um a purple uh, drink that kids um, develop, <laughs> um at school recess. Um, anyway, we have a viewer question around uh, an exactor. Um, <sighs> back in the day, Sab Ribikina exactor final prop. Uh, I think at this point, when it gets this deep in the tournament, you're probably just betting up better betting off money lines um, match by match. Particularly, there might be an angle if. If Sabalenka, if she does open in the market, you know, minus 160, minus 180 against Pliskova in particular, then just betting that um, parlayed into, into 
you know, other stuff is probably going to be a better price than an exactor where there's just there's just going to be more margin built into that market versus, you know, a, a Grand Slam semifinal head to head, which is, you know, three, four percent book. So you're yeah. probably better off just backing the money lines. Yeah. The only reason it would make sense to get involved in the exacta prop is if you think that Vika Azarenka comes away with the upset and then all of a sudden Ravakana is minus 300 instead of Pickham, <laughs> right? Because, uh, you know, you, like if you're backing that, you literally are just expecting that the other quarterfinal could go the way of the dog, at which point just, you know, try to find another way to capitalize on that if you think that. Because, um, like, yeah, Sabalenka, like, you know, if it's Sabalenka, Lynette, and uh, Rybakina, Rabakina uh, versus uh, Azarenka, then all of a sudden you've got a huge amount of liquidity and you know equi- equity built up in your position there. Otherwise, and, and but if that's happening, like you're going to be able to get a bigger bet on the dog prices for those two gals, Lynette and Azarenka. Yep. Okay. Let's quickly talk men's side now, Drew. I had a lot of Holger Rune at uh, forty to one, fifty to one to win mm-hmm. this tournament. He was. Eight to one, nine to one range going into yeah. last night. So I didn't watch the match. I went to sleep because it was in the middle of the night. And then I woke up. Um, and my five-year-old, <laughs> five-year-old daughter came in at six a.m. Woke me up, and I read in a haze this text message from a friend who's also on Rune. <laughs> and the text goes, "Truly sickening stuff in the Rune match. Five-two up in the fifth. Serves for it." Two match points in following game, goes 5-0 up in tiebreaker, collapses, gets back to 9-9, loses on a dead net cord return. I'm like, yeah. this is a joke. That can't have actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, it happened. and that's the way he went out to Andre yeah. Rublev. Just an incredible confluence of events. And yes. now it's the setting up where Novak Djokovic just looks like he's going to walk in this tournament and he's minus 250 on points bet. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure there's as much to discuss on the men's side. Uh, here's what I think, man. Holger Rune, he was the second best player I saw in Australia. Yeah. After Djokovic. Yeah. yeah. And I think the name of the game now is to hope that he kind of has a little bit of a lackluster spring. You know, doesn't really make any noise. People kind of forget about him a little bit because Holger Rune is winning the US Open. That is the play. Find that market. Watch that price and try to pounce on it when it drifts out of range. And I mean, honestly, like I would probably take Rune to win the U.S. Open as low as like plus seven fifty ish. And that seems crazy for a guy who's never won a Slam to be interested in that kind of a price. But uh, the speed, the court speed, is perfect for him. He looks like he's made some improvements in his game. He's got he made some physical improvements in the off season to a degree. I think he's going to be. Of untouchable this uh, fall and uh, really uh, the way that the calendar breaks he should be kind of peaking at that point uh, not not all that different from what we saw from him last year so US Open for Rune the Australian Open is done <laughs> this is a done deal Novak Djokovic is by far and away the best player uh, he was in my opinion bluffing with the hamstring stuff I think he likes he liked the way that Nadal got covered last year in in, uh, in winning the Australian Open, surprisingly, playing through injury, and in winning the French Open, playing through injury, and making it to the semifinal stages of the of Wimbledon, playing through injury. Like I feel like he just he was like, I want to be covered that way too, uh, and so he's sort of leaning into how serious this is because you watch him play, and other than a couple of small moments where it looks like maybe he's a little limited by the hammy. He looks absolutely unbelievable. He's got the clear mental advantage over everybody else in this field. Um, 
going to be a tough time for Sissipas to manifest any kind of realistic challenge, uh, considering what Sissipas went through in the French Open final a couple of years ago against Djokovic. Um, that's always going to kind of be in the back of his head, even if he is playing amazingly well on the day of the final. So uh, at this point, it's probably going to be Sissipas Djokovic and Djokovic wins the final 3-1. That would be my read. Yeah, I think Sitsipas, who's been very impressive and the way he closed out the Sinner match was impressive, but also like he he was desperate to, to give away that match against Sinner where he started, uh, it took for some reason it took Sinner two and a half sets to realize that maybe he should hit it to Steph's backhand. Um, and then as soon as he started doing that, he had complete control of the match and then just he melted and um, and he won the melt-off against Sitsipas. But, yeah, Sitsipas isn't scary um, if you're on Djokovic. And uh, I'm going to go to my grave thinking that the, the second and third best players in this tournament were Holger and Yannick Sinner. And, yeah, uh, I think and that's probably, true. And, and neither of them even made the quarterfinal, um, yeah. which just seems absurd, but that's just yeah. how it's broken. And, uh, yep. look, I, I will sleep easier with uh, the Holger ticket knowing that if – if he's going to do that against Andre Rublev and need to go that deep into that match and blow that many opportunities, then he probably wasn't going to touch Novak Djokovic. That's uh, so, that's fair. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, Djokovic should walk this in unless um, unless the hamstring suddenly becomes real, which to your point, I don't think it will be. And uh, and yeah, we just watch Arena Sabalenka instead um, at this rate, and um, and we gear up for uh, for the next men's event. But um, yeah, I think that's where it is at the moment. All right. We're done. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. we'll be back tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a, like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.